Welcome to The Culture Edit, unique perspectives into the personal and professional lives of individuals at the helm of successful business, athletics, art, and design. Welcome to The Culture Edit, episode 14. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Chad. Lovely? Lovely. You are lovely. Oh, had a rough night. I don't know if I looked that (laughs) well. I didn't sleep last night. I'm trying to hype you up. Oh, okay. Just giving you a little boost of energy. All right. Uh, But it's a little gloomy out. Uh, It rained all night, but on the way up here, the sun was slightly peeking through the clouds. So maybe we'll be able to go to lunch and get some fresh air because you've been trapped inside all week and it's it's a little sad. Yeah, it's annoying. Do you want to give the people an update on your injury? Um, yeah, people keep asking, yeah, the way I use it is, or the way I position it is, um, progressing just not as quickly as I would like, uh, ribs are much, much better. I can walk and do normal stuff, but my arm still strapped to my body and, uh, cause my clavicle hurts pretty bad, but getting better. The only thing that's really annoying about it is, uh, you know, it's my right arm. So it affects being able to type as we talked about last week and then waking up in the middle of the night when I roll over on it, like I did last night at three in the morning and <laughs> in tremendous amount of pain. Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny. Cause I realized I told a bunch of people that it was your left arm when it first happened, yeah. mainly because we had Hutch with his left ear, Emmy with her right ear, you with your right arm. And I was getting all the rights and the lefts of injuries mixed up. So, uh, anyone that I told that to, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I wish it was my left arm. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Maybe it was my wishful thinking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. I've, I've gone through all the phases. Uh, you know, uh, I think now I'm, I'm pretty, pretty stuck on the anger phase. So I think after anger, uh, you get acceptance. Uh, well, we can give a little update on some, I, I have not been riding outside, but that's okay. Cause PMA, uh, been riding the trainer a lot, been running and actually got way more workout classes in this week than I normally do because I wasn't worried about being sore for the group rides. Uh, so it's actually been kind of, kind of nice. Yeah. And you signed up for a half marathon. And, yeah. And I signed up for the Thanksgiving half. Cause I'm like, we're going to thanks to Jeff Richards. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Jeff. Um, and so now it's my goal because I'm, I'm not really a great runner. Like I'm definitely not a fast runner. I'm kind of like more of a jogger. Um, but I do, I do enjoy it because there's tons of people around when you're running. And so now I'm trying to convince different people to run with me. So I think Megan Crum, uh, she's moving back to Atlanta. I've convinced her, maybe Caitlin, maybe, maybe Alex. I don't know if he, if he, but he, wow. typically, he can, I feel like Alex is capable of just like breaking out a half marathon without training. Uh, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I mean, he little, wouldn't be able to walk afterwards, but well, if, you know, yeah, I could get it done. That doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just fill him up with mimosas. Uh, goose, Maybe because uh, he did attempt to run a half marathon yesterday without any training whatsoever because you. He told me that he could and I said he couldn't. So he just decided to run. He stopped at 10 miles, uh, which is incredible. But I don't even know when the last time he ran was. But he, to, he said it's been like years yeah. since he's run. <laughs> and and so it, it was at like, like an eight minute pace too. So Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but we haven't heard from him since. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I checked in this morning and no response. So he might be uh, sitting in bed with his legs up on the wall. Um, yeah, so if anyone wants to do the half marathon with Nikki, it's a Thanksgiving day. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know. Let me know. The The route goes right by our, kind of between our office and our house. Um, so you know what could be cool is if we got a bunch of people to do it, we could set up a tent at that corner, which would be... 
we'd have to talk to Scott DeMeyer, but it's the Krog Junction. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, Junction it, at Krog. Junction at Krog. So we could set up a tent there, uh, maybe hand out Coca-Cola's or something, because you're almost at the finish. Yeah. You got like a, just a couple of miles left after that corner. So maybe we'll do that. So if anyone's going to do or thinking about the half marathon, let us know. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe Eleanor and uh, Ian would want to do it, because uh, I know Eleanor used to run a lot. Oh, yeah, maybe. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep tapping on people. Exactly. So we're really excited about the guest today, not only because he's a friend of the pod, uh, he's been a longtime friend of Chad's, he's a cyclist, he's a swimmer, runner, uh, water polo player, everything. Lifetime endurance athlete. Lifetime endurance athlete. And like the long list of athletic accolades and achievements, he has an equally long list of uh, academic achievements and job descriptions. <laughs> so Yeah, and it's pretty special that he would come on our podcast because he gets asked to do a lot I know, and, and he doesn't because he's so busy and he doesn't have time. Uh, so for him to agree to do this was pretty cool. Definitely. Uh, so coming at us today is Brett Kirby. Uh, Brett, Doc, Dr. Brett Kirby. So Brett has his PhD in human physiology from Colorado State University and performed two postdoctoral fellowships, one here in Atlanta at Emory in cardiology, and the second was in hematology and biomedical sciences at good old Duke. Yeah. And, and when he was here at Emory, that's when you met him, Yeah, right? that's when we met, when he was at Emory. And so continuing down the long list of things that Brett has achieved that describe him, uh, most notably to the listeners of this podcast, he works for Nike. Yeah, he's the principal scientist of human endeavor and performance optimization there. Uh, he used to be the lead physiologist for Next Generation Research when he was instrumental and I think led or was an instrumental part of the Breaking Two project, which you may have seen when a group of scientists at Nike tried to figure out how can we break the two-hour marathon mark uh, with Iliad Kipchoge. Kipchoge. Kipchoge, sorry. And he's also um, an ad- adjunct instructor for the University of Oregon Sports Product Management and sports product design graduate programs. So it's really cool because he he starts off by telling us his personal purpose. Well, real quick. So just the reason we're telling you all this is because we know all, all of you Gen Z and millennials that listen to us get all of your information from TikTok experts. Uh, we wanted to have like a real expert in. Brett is not on TikTok. He is a real <laughs> live human with a real live PhD experience. Yeah. Uh, and, we, and we press him about that. We give him a lot of questions of, hey, we see this on TikTok. We see this on social media. What do you think? Um, which I, I think is super interesting. So if you're into that kind of you know interview type style, then this is definitely the episode for you. You know, it's really nice because he gives us a blend of scientific knowledge, but he also talk, walks us through his personal purpose around what led him to this type of work and what he does at Nike, what he does philosophically for his athletes. Um, a lot of it is around training the mind, which I think is really cool because it is a hot topic nowadays. Um, and, and pushing boundaries. And so even when he walks us through his experience with breaking two, it's more about pushing the boundaries of what people um, expect and perceive as possible. And it, I hadn't thought of it like that before, but when you think about pushing boundaries and possibilities to change the way the world looks at something, is there anything more you know, amazing? Yeah, I mean, he... he... He even, I mean, you'll hear him talk about the fact that people like laughed at them about breaking two or they got angry about it. And that's, you know, we can relate to that because there's a lot of things that we talk about doing completely different that people think we're crazy about. Uh, And then also, which I think is 
relevant to a lot of our listeners is we're also going to get into the importance of culture, workplace culture and teams and how do you foster that kind of chemistry and um, camaraderie uh, and how do they do it there at his team at the Innovation Center for Nike, uh, which is something that I know he's super passionate about because him and I talk about it all the time. Uh, Brett also um, mentions quite a few books and movies. Uh, we'll link those in the show notes. Uh, he actually mentions a documentary called 14 Peaks, which we went home and watched. Binge watched. <laughs> binge watched. Uh, amazing. So Definitely good. recommend that. Uh, it's about uh, a guy from Nepal who climbs all 14 peaks, which are over 8,000 meters, 26,000 plus feet. Uh, and he does it previously been done in seven years and he did in six months. Uh, so Brett talks about that a lot too. So we'll link that as well. All right. Without much further ado, here's our conversation with Brett. Enjoy. Welcome to the culture edit, Brett. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us today. That's great to be here. Thanks a lot. I mean, I, I know that you've been on uh, the Nike training podcast. You've been on like all these academic podcasts, but now you've, you've finally made it. Uh, so congrats for, for being on the culture. <laughs> this is the best podcast you'll ever be on. <laughs> I'm going so. up a level. Thank you. Well, the first time I met you, you were standing in our kitchen without a shirt on and I wasn't a cyclist. <laughs> Do you remember that, bro? I do not remember that. We had just gotten back from the Tucker ride. You were visiting. And we we had just started maybe dating like a year or two. I I don't even remember. Maybe two years? Maybe. Um, It would have been like 2013. Yeah, and I walked into the kitchen and you were staying there with no shirt on. I was like, what? What is what is happening in the but like a bibs and I just it's not it wasn't my world at that time so it was it was pretty entertaining. So I just have bib shorts. Yeah, you know, <laughs> classic. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, now that's totally normal. When I walk into my own house and there's like ten guys standing in bib shorts and no shirt, I'm like, oh hey yeah, this is this is completely normal. That's true. It's so, it's but so uh, <laughs> how did you and Chad meet? That's a good question. You I, was, I think I think we were honestly I think we're at races. Uh-huh. And there was a race. It, yeah, I think there was a race up north a bit. Uh-huh. And I don't know, it may have been pretty hot. I think you were in the white kits with maybe yep. the white Aaron kits. The all the white. Yeah, white bibs. Yeah. yeah. I think I just remember kind of after saying hi. Uh, if if there was anything going on in the race. So my recollection is you you had just moved here, so no one knew who you were. Uh, and you were up the road. You were like super aggressive and you were up the road by yourself. And yeah. I bridged to you and we stayed away. Do you remember this? We stayed away the entire day and then they caught us like on the line. And we got completely swarmed. Do you remember that? <laughs> now that you're saying, I remember. Yeah. That's awesome. Because we were talking the whole time we were in the break. And I mean, you know, a lot of times like in that, especially in that situation, like, you don't know if like the guy's actually going to work. Is he going to work with you? Are you going to start playing games? But the whole time we're like, let's just put, let's go all in and we'll figure it out at the end. And it's so rare that afterwards I came up to you and like, who the hell are you? Like, who's this guy that'll actually work in the break? And so that was, that's my, that's my recollection. So I was like, well, you don't live here. You want to be on our team? <laughs> and like you were all like with, on the, by the next race, he was on the team. So what are you training for? It came to me. We were watching a crit. I'd taken my six-year-old to watch it. And I'm like, hey, this is bike racing. And he hears me tell stories, but <laughs> he thinks I rode in the Tour de France. I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't ride like that, but I'll tell him stories. And he's, 
So we're at the, this little crit over the summer and he says, hey, look at those guys. They're so cool. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? You're pointing at those guys. Like, I'm cool. <laughs> so next, next year, summertime, I'm training to basically show up and be like, you know, yeah, I can ride a bike. I can race a bike and have my son be like, oh, yeah, dad can race instead of just sitting on the couch telling stories. So you want your, your kid to think you're cool, not these random jabronis that probably yeah. aren't even nearly as fit as you could be. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So, so it'd be full fledged road. Are you going to, are you running at all? No, not right now. I've just run quite a bit. Some with my left knee doesn't hold up to running because my background's a swimmer. So I swam, played water polo, rode a bike for whatever, 12 something years. So then when I try to run, the impact kills me. It, I'll go back I'm a little more mountain biking now than road, but okay. I'll be road in the summer. Does this mean you're going to get back on Strava? Yeah, sure. If I can be held accountable, <laughs> I need all the help I can get to like, really do it you know be genuine i gotta come up i gotta show up with a bang there again be like wait who who's this guy why is he attacking same the story you just told i want to do again here exactly what but you're gonna be in a niche kit this time so cooler than the puppy dog on the back yes <laughs> exactly. the aaron's lucky dog and now we have the bright blue kit so you can you stand out it's it's actually really nice in a race because you can see guys so easily you miss atlanta you miss it yeah you miss the group rides i definitely miss the group rides Atlanta, Atlanta riding was really good. I was only there four months, but it, it was really, really good. Yeah. I really miss it. There's some level of camaraderie there and there's honestly, the quality of riding was really good. I, I love, I loved it. Definitely miss it. You, uh, when you left, you were coming back just to do the Tucker ride. Mm -hmm. You were, you were making excuses, I guess, to see Whitney's family, but you really was to do the, the Tucker ride. That's right. I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to go to Atlanta, see my in-laws. Like, I'm going to sneak over to Tucker. <laughs> so I'm gonna do, that's why I'm really going. That's hilarious. Exactly. So uh, I've got a lot of like uh, normal, stupid Chad questions. Uh, Nikki like actually has a lot of like nerdy science stuff. So we'll, we'll try to combine both if that works for you. Well, I wouldn't say yeah. it's nerdy science stuff necessarily. It's more, there's so much on TikTok and Instagram and social media now from in the form of like health and science and what you should do and what you should. I feel like I'm inundated with so much information i never know what's real and so having an expert like you uh then maybe we can debunk some of that because i know a lot of my girlfriends who ride or run are also in the same boat um but but the yeah. first thing i want because you know i'm gonna have to read your bio at some point uh in the opening what does human endeavor and performance the optimization uh what does that even mean okay it's a good question it's so long huh? <laughs> you have a 40 second version the elevator pitch version. Let me take you to my purpose and then lead into that. Awesome. Because right? it'll start to dovetail into it. And so my purpose is really to ignite people's imagination around what's possible so they can be better tomorrow than today. Like that, that's what I typically filter all the work that I do and whatever it is. So if I'm working at Nike, my job, then I'll filter through that. If I'm working as a teacher because I work at the University of Oregon, I'll filter through that. If I'm coaching, mentoring, whatever it is, I'm trying to just ignite that imagination, get it cooking. I want the wheels to start, start to spin more. And then I feel like I've done my job. Part of optimizing performance is getting to that place of like, what are these new ideas and how do we start to work into a target? So we have an idea of where we want to go. We don't have to have it completely defined yet, but we have an idea of a trajectory. And then we want to start to get closer. And that means we have to be open to new ideas. So how does that translate? What's a day in the life like then? Are you, 
I know you work with elite athletes, but are you also working on things that impact the average Joe? Yeah. yeah. Average Joe athlete, I should say. Yeah. Anybody, anybody don't typically make the judgment call on who, who will work with can be all walks of life. And that's what makes it exciting. And I like the, the concept. I really like the book range. David Epstein's book. I'm pretty into that one where he talks about micro sampling the world. Have, have you, either of you read that? No, no. I haven't read that. What, what is it again? It's called Range yeah. by David Epstein. And the fundamental premise is how to micro sample the world. And how do you take little bits of life all around you and you bring those together to become better essentially. And that's kind of how I do it. So if I get to work with an everyday athlete, it's going to help a pro. And if I work with a pro, it's going to help the middle, middle packer. And that's going to help the, and each triangulates all around different people. So that could be across people, but then across sport, it's the same. Work with a fencer to a runner, to a cyclist, to a basketball player, and just taking little bits of everything and putting that together to slowly optimize towards a target. So I think the work I do is, is, is helping people move forward. And that's the answer to the endeavor idea. Endeavor just means achievement. You're going somewhere. And so that can be applied to anybody. So did you come up with your own job title? <laughs> yeah, I did. I figured because it was very attached to a personal purpose. I'm like, there's no way Nike had this job title and you just like showed up and we're like, this makes sense. No, no. My Nike job title just says principal scientist researcher. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I like your version a lot better. Yeah. So does that mean there's a particular like problem you're trying to tackle? Like, like give us like an example, like how does that work? Like in what you're doing? I typically will apply it in any of the domains, right? So if I'm at the, if I'm in the front of the class, and somebody asks a question, I'll do the same approach that I might do with an athlete. So if an athlete comes to the table, I'm going to usually listen to them for assessing some questions and what's going on. You got to get a level of comfort right out of the gates. So you have to build a level of relaxation, sort of safety, conf- confidence, so they can start to speak up. We're trying to get them to spill the beans, if you will, what's happening, what's going on. And then you start to hone into, okay, where are you trying to go? Is anything getting in the way? And by finding out where they want to go or if there's anything they want to avoid along that path that we're really just trying to set that target like hone into okay there's like a bullseye out there somewhere and we just got to understand is that north south east and west so that's typically the first process i'm doing is just find out like where is it that they're putting this target in their world and then we go step by step after that to okay well let's just chip away get you closer to that target is it surreal to work with so many elite athletes at first it was for sure at first, you, were, you think that you just shouldn't say much. Like, you're on a different level. You feel like, okay, I'm not, I don't know what I can say that could match the champion that I'm in, in front of. And after a while, you realize that you, it's worth being confident in your own world because they're hungry for it. They realize that there's a domain expertise that somebody else has, that like I might have, that they don't have. And we become more like equivalent peers just with different ex- experiences. And once I started to adopt that, then you realize it's not surreal. Surreal, And in fact, if I don't show up for them, I'm letting them down. So I got to show up with that confidence and be like, okay, I'm here for you. I'm going to give you the best I can give you. And I can't kind of hold back on that. They, they probably feel like, oh, I'm meeting with the smart guy who's going to yeah. invest all this knowledge into me. And I, I wonder, I would love to ask if they feel that equal pressure. I bet some of them do. I guarantee they do. Yeah, yeah that's good. That Yeah, that's the recognition of the empathy that... They feel it, so we have to get that comfort. They feel as uncomfortable as I might feel around the conversation. So the sooner we get to different cues of 
comfort, relaxation, safety, the sooner we're going to get to the meat of the puzzle. So you're like, I, I can't believe I'm telling Kipchoge to run faster. And he's going, God, I got to really listen to Brett Kirby. I can't believe he's telling me to run faster. Is that, that's what's happening. <laughs> no, I'm getting him to think typically you're trying to work towards internal uh, motivation. So you might ask more questions to get them to think through what it is that may be holding them back. So that's one thing I was going to ask is, you know, we see it with our friends that um, are at the world tour level or just below the world tour level, level trying to get there in cycling. We, we, from our observation, we feel like at that level, everyone's gifted. Everyone has been born with a genetic gift and they've worked their ass off on top of it. And now they're at this level, but it feels like what separates the guys who really make it to the top of world tour and those that are just kind of like always elite is mindset. And so is that, do you work on a lot of that mindset and focus and envisioning, you know, your success? Is that a big part of it? Huge part, bigger, bigger part now than it ever was and more than I could have imagined. It's very big. And I'd say even sometimes the priority to start with, even when somebody says it's not there, typically start there to make sure that if the mindset is right, then the physical work can happen next. I see, I've done some work where we start to see that those at the highest, highest, highest level have higher mindfulness, awareness, observation of the world, things like that, as opposed to your everyday athlete who's maybe aware, but they don't have it at the same degree that some of these world-class individuals have. Where, where do you think they learn that? Is that also a natural thing that you're kind of just born with, or is that nurtured over time as an athlete growing up? Well, it's kind of like I mentioned in that book, Range. I think there's some sampling of experiences that a person gets that teaches that to them. It says our brain and our body is basically a, a map of the world we lived, right? So experientially, we're adopting that and we embed those memories into our brain, which makes new pathways. That's why they call it a neural network. So it's a network of the brain. And so those experiences that we may have had at five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, are going to slowly kind of form in and they kind of blend over into each other. So if somebody's had experiences early on where they particularly can, let's say, do sport and the sport doesn't have anxiety around it. They've been cultivated in that culture of like, this is an anxious, we play for fun and we help each other out and we do whatever A, B and C, we're honest about it. Then that's, that comes in and leaks into whatever's going to happen five, 10 years later. So some of those people who have the mindset, I think for sure had some of the, the seeds early on. They may not have known exactly what was going on, but they were like primed for it. So it's much easier maybe to train them into the skill set. Or some other people were starting ground zero and were like, wow, okay, there hasn't been many experiences in life where they've had to leverage their mindset to move them forward. One example I really like, I love that movie with Nims Perja, um, where they climb the, the speed climbing of the mountains. I think it's like 14 peaks or something. You're giving us all kinds of things to <laughs> dig into after this. <laughs> I I lo love it. So he ba the basically he climbs all the world's highest peaks as a mountaineer, but he does it in like six months' time, six and change. Where before it was like, you know, it's years and years and years. So how does this guy climb all the Everest in equivalents in rapid succession? And you're reflecting through the movie, and I'm like, it's because his prior life experiences gave him a framing of the context that the risk of climbing these mountains fast is not so dangerous, because of his maybe military experiences, whatever he's had before. And I think that that's what we bring to the table with the athletes is what kind of other life experiences have you had that are priming you to now 
display your trait and skills in a new domain. And then sometimes that's why you get these people that pop out of nowhere. And you're like, I'm not surprised because you've already had some training. You're just reapplying it. Sounding like a psychologist these days. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, we spend so much time. A lot of the athletes, they come to the ask with, I need some help with how I see my emotions and mental state on, on the field. Do you think that, because um, you said that it's even more relevant today focusing on mindset, do you think that's because of social media and because I constantly feel like everyone's self-diagnosing now because you go on TikTok and you have like five different people telling you you have PTSD and like all kinds of different things. Do you feel like it's a little, it's like this cycle of um, self-infliction? I think the rate of information is fast. Sometimes getting through stuff needs time. Part of the pressure is that the time to absorb and move through the emotional state or the processing at the brain of what's going on is short-circuited. And we just, the way the world is so fast that unless we now build in time, because think about the wellness programs we're these days, is all ways of finding time, personal time. And that's just a byproduct to me of realizing that we don't have the natural time we used to. It's so true because it feels like there's all this pressure to achieve something in a very short amount of time. And if you don't achieve that, then you compare yourself to everyone else who's saying they're achieving it, even if they're not, even if that's not true. Um, and and I, I see it with, it makes me really sad because I see, I went through it definitely when I first started riding where I was comparing myself to every other girl riding and you have so many people telling you like, you're, you're doing great, you're really strong, you should race. And then you start racing and you get to this point where you realize either A, I'm not talented enough to race with these women at the elite level, B, I don't have enough time because I, I have a full-time job, or C, I just am not into it anymore because it just feels like something that is very, um, like I have to do, I don't have a choice in it. Like I have to do everything at the exact time and it has to be really sped up. Um, and I see a lot of women with burnout because of it, I think even more than men. I'm going to start with anxiety, which tends to then result in a demonstration of control that maybe want to have control over the situation to feel they can manage the anxiety. And then when situations are difficult to control, then yeah, then the burnout happens because then perfectionism leaks in too. So you have this sort of progression that happens that leads to burnout. It's really hard to try to control everything and then do it basically just be on all the time. So we tell a lot of times the athletes like you're on in so many areas of your life now to be perfect to do a great job and your intentions are so pure we know you want to be great so a lot of times the messaging is actually no rush there's like no no rush no rush take your time on that take your time on that really got to get to the core of the anxiety is lower so that the rest of the process is not accelerated too fast i, I definitely think or at least mine stems from perf i would say control issues like I want to control everything yeah and I think a lot of women that I ride with it's the same thing it's this need well there's not a lot of us compared to other to male cyclists so if you like 200 guys you have 10 girls you're already like hyper comparing yourself to the smaller group than if you were in 200 women but it's just interesting yeah it, like in my professional life I've dealt with a lot of conflict just in what I was doing early on in my career and some of the best advice I ever got from one of my mentors was getting so wound up around this one particular thing that was happening that I couldn't control. That was some type of conflict based issue. He basically was just like, it's just not that important. That one thing is not that important. It's the bigger picture that's more important. And so when I, I 
taught myself to not, and you see that even now with business with us, I, I tend to not try not to get wound up around the one little thing that doesn't go right. But I think that's the same thing as a sport, right? Like that's, it's, it's having that kind of patience and understanding the bigger picture. So it's important to know there's kind of two ways we will approach this. And from the brain, we'll talk about the bottom of the brain to the top. We say bottom up. And then sometimes we'll say top down from the top of the brain down. The top part of the brain is like our thinking part, the prefrontal cortex. And so traditional method might be saying, hey, like your friend, Chad, who says, hey, it's not that important. Let's rationalize and be logical through this. It doesn't matter. We're going to do A, B, and C, and you're going to get right through it. Everything's fine. Sometimes people can handle that, but a lot of times they can't. A lot of times the body is doing what it does, and it's on autopilot, and we really can't access that top. And there's like a competition between the bottom and the top part. So when you're trying to unravel it, we have to first see as a professional, like in sport performance, where what is the tactic here? Am I going to go to a top-down approach and start talking to you logically? Or do I first need to use the bottom approaches, which is bodily regulation? So I might need to be like, okay, this person is anxious. No matter what I say, they can't hear the words. So we're going to give cues of comfort. So I may stand next to them in a certain position. So let's say we're at a competition. They've just performed not so great. If I stand head on with them, Right? Those are potentially more challenging positions. I'm going to stand to the side of them, stand with them, get them to say something. And maybe I won't ask too many questions, but I'll just give calm presence. Maybe I change my breathing rate. And maybe when we're walking, I walk a little slower to slow them. So I'm going to do all things that are more body kind of triggers to try to get their body to shift to a new state. Once we shift to a new state, they can hear anything that we're going to talk about logically. So that's the first piece is figuring out, okay, who, what kind of position am I in if I'm the athlete or if I'm a performance director working with athletes, I got to find out how can we talk and communicate with this person. I say communicate because it may not be words and it may be symbols and gestures. Then we go unravel and then we start to say, okay, what's next? Do we do a visualization? Do we do breathing? Do we do rhythmic bodily movements, yoga? Who knows what it is, the tactic, but that's the first part is finding out which pathway. That's so interesting because I feel like even if you were a business leader, you could take that as a metaphor of how to treat your team, especially people that report to you. Because we talk about this. If you listen to the other episodes, almost every single time we talk about how a predictable and um, level-headed leader. And Their that's, behavior is predictable. Yeah, yeah, behavior is predictable. But it sounds like it's, it's kind of similar. Like to be a good coach, it's you're not putting it on them to try and figure out what you're going to tell them. It's more you are giving them these cues of, I'm here for you, I'm listening to you, let's listen to our bodies together, that type of thing. Absolutely. It is absolutely the same. One of the most influential books is a book by Tina Bryson. She is a psychologist, um, a psychotherapist, and she the book is called The Power of Showing Up. Yeah, it's just what you said, Nikki, like how do we show up, coach, leader, professional. And I like a lot about it is that our, our job is to show up in a way to teach or to show and model the behavior we'd like to get. So if I, I want that athlete to be relaxed. I don't want to yell at them. I don't want to jam on them. It's like you tell them they're terrible after, or you start to immediately tell what they can do to improve when they're not ready for it. I'm not modeling the behavior I want to get. I'm not the style. So if they're, they're trying to adopt a level of resilience to get through hard moments when they're not meeting, not meeting the expectations they have we have to show them that i can be resilient with them when they're not there 
And then, okay, we can get through it. I'm going to show you how we get through it. This is what I do. I'm going to breathe and I'm going to slow my pace. And then they're like, oh, cool. I can do that too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Brett, do you uh, do you do much research around like all this, the, I think a lot of people started doing a lot of research around females and female athletes and hormones and how that affects training cycles. And because I know that's something, Nikki, you've been pretty big on here lately. The research is lean. Um, we just don't know a ton. So I tend to be pretty neutral to the topic. Like we don't know, but fundamental biology tells us that anything in life, there are circumstances can influence, meaning, yeah, we're dynamic biology. So something changes, it's a possibility that can be influential. The interestingly though, I would say a majority of the studies I am seeing tend to say it's not as potent as one maybe expects from the hype of the social media. I think we just need a little bit of time to address it and make sure we understand it and specifically in certain use cases. Because we'll look at the data and I'll read a paper and the paper will say on average, the critical power for the males and the females is not really different during blah, blah, blah. But when you look inside that data and you see the individual data, there's, there's a few people in there, you're probably like, yeah, that probably is a big deal for them. So there's a difference between looking at the average and maybe the one-liner of the conclusion and then the interpretation of what it means for that one person. So I always like to talk with those individuals and spend the time, give the attention to that need for that person. Because if there's a woman who is experiencing challenges, then we're like, okay, something's going on. You know, whether there's a paper that says biologically, we don't see the evidence that when test luteal phase versus this phase is different. I try not to over rely on a piece of uh, research. Yeah, it seems like because with like all my girlfriends that ride and run, it seems like sometimes being in the luteal phase affects like a portion of us. But then other of my friends say they don't notice at all. Whereas I feel like the people who track everything, I think you can sense it a lot more. But then I also sometimes wonder because you're tracking it, are you convincing yourself that you're experiencing these things on a heightened level when maybe it's not as bad if you weren't aware of it? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's one pretty good paper that's measures the awareness of the perceptions of side effects that you may have as you go through your hormonal cycle. Those who are aware of the any side effects or experiences they have in their body are much more likely to have these uh, irregularities or fluctuations in their physical performance. So there's a tie directly between awareness of, this, of that versus the, the physical outcomes. So I think you're definitely onto something there. And with most things, we momentarily step to the side of the hormonal cycle. These days with, with sensor technology, and as we were talking before, the rate of information to come to us to, to tell us about something that we may not know, definitely, I think, makes us hypersensitive to things. So we become much more in tune. And it could be like the weather. So if we never had a weather app on our phone, we would just show up at the race and race. But if we're obsessed with it and it's like, oh, it's supposed to be hot or it's supposed to rain, then we get like really into it and then we get worked up and then there's 10 other things that can happen because we're become super hyper-focused on that. Same with if somebody's following HRV or their sleep number, it becomes very central and it can easily become overwhelming to how we're maybe managing our total performance portfolio or anything like that. And so I'm gonna, I would clump in the same with the hormonal cycle. It's important, but over-indexed compared to anything will be it'd be difficult for us, you know? So with your athletes, do you just rip off their smartwatches and <laughs> throw, <Nope. laughs> throw them in the garbage day one? 
it depends who they are. You know, yeah, but sometimes people are like, hey, we really need to work about learning your body. There's, there's athletes who are maybe old school who are really, really in tune with their body. And you're like, you have an amazing skill. You can read your body to the nth degree. So what we're going to use is leverage technology a little bit to help you in some areas. So they may be going from nothing to something. And then they're the opposite case where people are so obsessed with it. They have no, their ability to be flexible is poor because they rely so heavily on the input data. So they have their reliance on information comes from external rather than internal or the other person is only internal. And so you're just trying to bring them to a sense of balance of let's use both internal and external cues to guide decision-making about whatever we're going to do right now in the moment or maybe long-term training programming either way. Do you measure or track HRV or anything like that? Do you, do you wear a wearable? I track a bunch of stuff. I used to wear a ring and track HRV and stuff like that. I don't anymore. The utility of some of that is, is not for me personally these days. But I definitely track. If I'm racing and training, definitely always training load through heart rate and, and power if I'm on the bike, running, GPS watch kind of stuff. So for next year when you're traveling, uh, sorry, training for, for the crits, so your kids are impressed. Are you gonna? What are you gonna track? I'll I'll track training load with uh, heart rate and power. I won't do any HRV. None of that stuff. I'm I don't over it. Nah, I don't I don't need it right now. Plus, I know how much I sleep. You know, like I don't need somebody to tell me I slept four hours. I know I slept four hours, and when I slept eight, I know I slept eight. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, we joke now. Cause you know, at first I would, so I'm on the extreme. If I was your athlete, you'd be like, just throw all this shit away. Please. Like you please throw it away. You're crazy. That was music in my ears, Brett, for you to say that, by the way. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm self-aware <laughs> about it, but I'm, but it's, it's an addiction. So it is an addiction hundred yeah. percent. Um, but it's funny because we always joke about how when we start tracking our HRV, we intentionally start ignoring it on important mornings, like waking up before a race. Cause if you're there, you have to do it either way. So it's almost like, why am I even tracking this? I, I don't want to know it when it comes down to the important race day. It's all about decision-making. You just hinted at it. So if it's an input to the decision, that's great. And if it's not, then I don't need it. Like, you know, are we going to use the inputs when we need the inputs? And can those inputs do anything? If it's race day, it's race day. And if they're pulling, like I'm in the break, hey, we're going full gas and I'm over threshold. I'm like, well, I'm not going to back out of the break. I'm just going <laughs> to roll, you know? So sometimes you just like life goes and you go. Yeah. I'm going to use every trick in the book to, to keep on. But I do think that could be a source of burnout too, is there's just so much information. For and, sure. And as a, like when people are perfectionists, which as an endurance athlete, I think you have a little bit of that in you no matter what, because yeah. why would you? you can't train this much and do this much if you're not slightly type A. Yeah. But what, what other fads do you want to uh, completely blow up and destroy in this uh, podcast? <laughs> How about cold oh, plunges? Cold, I mean, that's hot topic, huh? Yeah. yeah. Hot topic on a cold plunge. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, yesterday about it. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you the philosophical approach and then maybe we'll go detailed. Okay. I think it's difficult it's always challenging to have momentary optimization and to be good in this moment versus the future adaptation. So those two typically go head to head. So I want to be great now and great in the future is pretty hard. So in this moment, you're going to get out there. We're going to go to the race. We're going to use the fastest wheels, the best, lowest rolling resistance tires. We have the aerodynamic bike, the helmet. You have everything we can possibly do. We're going to use whatever, like, 
you know, fancy lotion that makes us feel like we don't have acid in the belly. We have fancy drinks, you know, use the whole nines. If, when we do that kind of stuff, and then after the race, let's say we use the ice bath. Those are all things that in the moment make us as efficient as possible. Biology is like, take all the stress away from the equation so I can be really good. That mitigates future adaptation because the body responds to stressors. So we get better when we stress our system. We get better psychologically if we do psychological stresses. You mentioned before predictable stresses. That's good. But if we do that physically, we're going to blunt the future. So if we use the ice bath all the time afterward, we're blunting signals that will make us better in the future. The contrast is the opposite is if I don't do anything, then it's really freaking hard. I'm like, Oh, I just went out and I like, like I remember using to uh, do my training rides. We would double tires. We would cut the edge off of the tire and then wrap the, the top of the tire and put it inside the tire. And so we would roll two tires to help us not get flats what? through the car. <laughs> You never heard that? No. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, cut cut the that. sidewall. Yeah, off. yeah, I get it. I've never heard that before. We just retired again. Um, thorns, goat heads in our tires because I'm in Colorado racing, and so your tires weigh yeah. a shit ton. I guess the rolling resistance sense. is terrible. Yeah, but we'd be like, oh yeah, this is going to make me super strong. The concept is the same. Like we were just trying to make something harder. So we could be better in the future. So that's what I kind of think about with the ice tub or anything we're going to do, even taking ibuprofen, vitamin C, you name it. We want to be thoughtful about the balance between today's success and tomorrow's success, tomorrow meaning months ahead. And then how do we fine tune saying like, okay, I'm going to be, I need enough today to stress my body appropriately so I can keep going. Because if you all go out and cane yourself on the, the century ride on the trainer, and you need three days of recovery, then maybe it wasn't as useful as doing a medium ride where you can still ride for three days in a row. So there's pros and cons to all that stuff. What, what is the argument? Like, I, I don't even know. Um, I just see everyone doing it. What, what is the argument for the cold plunges, like doing it all the time? I think there's two trains of thought right now. One is post-exercise, maybe you take it on and it helps minimize inflammation and swelling. So immediately there's a change in the way the blood is directed to the tissue which helps minimize the blood to those tissues. And it facilitates a process of he a momentary healing. Yeah. You know, it's like, let's, let's kind of short circuit this stress so it can be better tomorrow. So that's, that's one. The other, I think, trend tends to be the exposure to cold therapy for central nervous system regulation. I want to teach resilience and tolerance. And that's a, maybe a different trend, but that's like a Wim Hof kind of world where you're exposing yourself to these cold stressors to build up a new kind of adaptation. So I think there's two different uses right now I see in the popularity that's uh, of using cold exposure. What about on the sauna side? On the heat side? Yeah. Con conceptually, I think this is all the same, meaning all of it has utility when used in the right way, depending on the goal of what we want to get out. And that goal is going to come with some trade-offs. So we have to be okay with the trade-offs. Heat is going to be the same. Like if we expose ourselves to heat during a heavy training block, it's going to be a hard training block. But exposure to heat, particularly on the sauna or like a hot bath after training or extra clothes, whatever method of heat acclimation you want, you've got to be okay with not being great now because we want to be really good in the future. Got to balance that out and do it appropriately so you don't get injured and sick, etc. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. We we have friends who've literally built 
saunas and cold plunges in their backyards because they're they're really bought into the the heat cold exposure which it makes sense like it all makes sense. and for me i just like a sauna because it feels nice but yeah you do I'm the sauna a lot. not into the cold pl- i don't want to be cold that cold mm-hmm. i don't know i like heat too yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of great tools out there these days it's how we use the tools like we didn't have the plethora of tools decades ago now we have so much at our disposal it's when to use it do we using the whole kitchen sink can be overwhelming and we have a lot more I'm talking about trade-offs coming in. You just drew a, a circle on your piece of paper right now, and then you drew a bunch of arrows coming in. That was just like 10 arrows. Maybe it used to just be two arrows that would collide. So that's kind of the thing with all the gadgets and the tools and the techniques is like, oh, okay, what are we really doing? The water's getting muddy. Yeah, that is how it feels because it, it feels like um, you're just being told to do so many different things. And then like I'm constantly being inundated with you have to balance your – parasympathetic nervous system because if that's out of whack then you're like, so i'm like doing breathing exercises it's just too much information i just ride with people that are faster than me that's that's my training yeah it's something to be said on both of those sides yeah, <laughs> yeah. i get a lot of beat downs though so yeah i used to like the beat downs more than i like them now maybe it's just age i don't know maybe I like got to a certain point where i just didn't want to get my teeth kicked in every every single group ride. Cause now I like to mix, like I used to never do like a chill ride. I only would ride with Chad in them and just like get my teeth completely kicked in. And now yeah. I've found that I have to do both because if I don't, I just, I don't want to ride. And weights. And I weights, mean, you yeah. wouldn't ask Brad about weights with endurance. Well, cause I was listening to a podcast that you were the Nike trained podcast. But that was like in 2018 or something. Um, and mm. you were saying at that time that you, used to think that you should just focus on whatever you're doing. Like if you're a runner, just run. If you're a cyclist, just ride. Um, but then you were starting to come around with some research, you know, maybe there you could incorporate more weightlifting. Now being 2023, how far or how regressed has that kind of thought process? So again, it's kind of like sampling the world in all the little pieces you can to make the best cake. So if we're just going to say, where can we get the right ingredients? And we maybe used to use regular wheat flour, should we go get rye flour? I think it's the same kind of thing. So I don't think at the time when I was probably thinking about that, I understood that there's certain stress to the body that we could get through the lifting. You might've just thought, oh, this is injury prevention, you should lift. But all these things are tools to get what we want out of it. And so if we're thinking properly, at least this is, I have the luxury to be able to, to do this for my job, right? And most of my time with the athletes, is you're trying to map out how they can be that totally delicious piece of cake, right? And you're going to say, like, I need to modify these ingredients little by little. And so weight, weights may be one way to come in there and tweak the way the tissue tolerates stresses. So we may be like, great, this is good because weights create a different kind of force in the tissue than um, cycling does. We call it eccentric muscular contraction. You can get through weights, but you can't really get through cycling. Running has a lot more eccentric muscle contraction, which is a lengthening of the muscle. So you can use the tools at your disposal, and I would use weights now or jumping or plyometric kind of stuff more than I used to to get the adaptations that we want to get in the tissue. Yeah, I just don't like feeling like I can't do something. That that is like for 
potential survival. Like, I don't like feeling like, oh, I have survival. Well, no, but like, <laughs> I remember there was a point after the pandemic because we pretty, I mean, I would say that the strongest I've ever gotten on the bike was when I was only riding. So I think you are right in that you have something there <laughs> when Ooh. we couldn't go to the gym. You got something there, right? Yeah, and all yours, <laughs> you know, you got something. Uh, <laughs> no, but I'm saying like, I, I definitely got stronger just riding and not doing anything else. Yeah. But then when I went back to the gym, I like couldn't even do a burpee without getting really, really sore. And you know, not that I couldn't do it, but it, it made me realize like, oh my gosh, what if I have to like get down on the ground and up back off the ground multiple times for some reason, I'm like destroyed after doing, you know, 10 to 20 burpees. This isn't. She's talking about the zombie apocalypse, Brad. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Common theme for Nikki. No, it's uh, not. Being ready. <laughs> you feel the same way. Like you don't like to feel like you can't do something. No, yeah. But I think yeah. we have that luxury because we're not, this isn't our job. Like, you know, a certain sport isn't our job. Um, mm. I, I, I lift, so I don't, I used to say I lift, so I don't break when that, I hit the ground. But that, uh, well. th that theory was put to the test two weeks ago. <laughs> so maybe I need to start lifting more. Maybe you just need to throw yourself onto your side constantly. Yeah, exactly. Practice <laughs> oh, 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 another, the last question that, that well, <laughs> I feel like I'm just totally like using you right now to answer all these questions I have. Yeah, I'm always asking myself. Um, but Chad and I talk about this. Is there something to, okay, so like, let's say you go, you wake up, you go to the gym, you go on a group ride, like maybe my average, my burn, caloric burn in the day through my watch will say, mm -hmm. you know, 3000 calories. I'm not consume because I track what I eat too. I'm not consuming 3000 calories and I always feel, but I'm also not like, I feel like if I was really in a deficit of a thousand calories every day or 1500 calories every day, I would be emaciated, which I'm not, I'm healthy. And yeah. we always say like, I feel like maybe these wearables aren't meant for long endurance athletes or adapted. Maybe your body just becomes so adapted to burning that many calories that you just don't need that much fuel. I think their algorithm isn't made for yeah. long-term endurance athletes. Is that right? Yeah, you're correct. I was going to say that. Like, I worked for a while in some area where we were trying to focus on the algorithms of different wearables. It's really important to know that, like what Chad said. The algorithm, which basically means the, the data that makes the math equation to predict the calories you burned is not, is not perfect. There's always some error with the algorithm. And so it just probably hasn't seen data like what you're showing it before. And that's the, the issue with algorithms and wearables and or any sensor that uses inputs like that. And that could be from your Tesla needing to sense its surroundings to the thermostat to the, you know, the, the wristwatch. Is algorithms have to see data that in order to make a future prediction. And we have never seen in our world all the events of life that could happen. So there's always something that could happen. And that's one of the things I was thinking I might you know, remind you to tell you when you said you feel like you control, you're controlling. Because you tell, remind people like there are always circumstances that get in the way and it will always change. So we want to just be flexible to it. And that's part of the deal with the algorithm is we got to be flexible that it's like a thousand calories off. Should, yeah. should I still be drinking beet juice? <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> the data, so there's data's pretty good on beet juice. It's okay at the highest level, it's maybe less effective than your average person. But there's a lot of papers on beet juice. Yeah. The, and the risk to reward ratio is like, there's like almost no penalty and potentially there's a payoff. Uh, shifting gears here, uh, breaking to uh, 
first of all, our listeners, if you're not familiar, uh, Breaking Two was a project uh, that Brett uh, was a big part of for Nike on breaking the two-hour mark for the marathon. Uh, I think it's an awesome documentary. And, and I know I've heard you talk about this before. Like, we didn't break two at that event, but we learned so much. Was And that really was the success of it. Then Ineos comes along, and they do it with Kachobi, and they break two, right? How'd you feel about that? I was heavily involved in that, so it's okay. There's, oh, you were with that one too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a difference. It's really good to think about the two examples, and they can be used to learn a ton from. So the first time is the spirit, right, of the law, spirit of the law. Yeah. You need to try things. You got to break through the mind. You got people to start to think about it because they weren't thinking about it. And then typically in the beginning, it was like not possible. You're crazy. You know, you get some people that would be like angry with you for even like thinking that it could be possible. Then you have some people who just like laugh at your, in your face. So you're just cracking the nut a little bit. You're just getting the spirit to go. And so by trying it, you reframe mentality. So that was the, that was the win about of that whole thing. Then the letter of the law is the 2019 Vienna event. And that was put on by Inia. So I'm in the scenes. I work just closely with, with Elliot Kipchoge himself. So I'm there to help him be successful. The event I wasn't a part of. So you were, helping, you were helping just focus on the athlete instead of the bigger picture of it. Okay. Yeah. I made some contributions. There were a couple of the, the staff and the teammates. And we took a lot of the learnings from the original Monza event. And we applied them forward. So we knew what course to get because we had already done the homework. We knew how to adjust the orientation of the pacers because we had done the homework. We knew about banking the corners. Like there was things that was already like, hey guys, we should do A, B, C, and D. But it was their, it was their gig. So I'm not, I didn't want to. What is um, Ellie? Is Ellie? Elliot. 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 Okay. Uh, what is Elliot like from a mindset perspective? Yeah, he's top notch. Super laid back, aware, observant. Before that breaking two event, he was he took a, like a relaxation nap on the grass at one point. It was just like <laughs> a little bit before the race, and we're like, "Is he okay? He's just chilling out." He's he's pretty he's pretty chill. He understands the balance of the of the event, and that going into it to be over anxious is not so conducive. It doesn't mean he doesn't get anxious. Like I I know from him that there are butterflies in the belly, like everybody, and everybody gets them. It's like what we do with them, though. And getting them is appropriate, it's healthy. It's in how do we pass through the moments of challenges? That's the, that's the magic, right? Do you ever think about what you do for a living and who you do it for? And just be like, I can't believe this is, this is my job. Yeah, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do, particularly if it's somebody who's like a, you know, maybe a bigger name and they're thanking me. I'm like, wow, what's, what's going on? Yeah. Like walking into campus, like, I mean, it's just gotta be so cool and surreal to walk into that and just be like, okay, this is my job at Nike. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty special. And so I was in world championships for track and field at Budapest, um, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And when I was there, I was, that's, I was like, wow, this is an amazing event. This is a really cool city. I'm like really lucky to come here. And there were athletes we were meeting with on a daily basis. And I was just like, this is cool. Like, I can't believe I get to come here to this, be a part of this competition with these athletes that are wanting help. And I get to be part of that. So yeah, it's pretty special, the opportunities that come along. The other thing I really, really like is the stretch of a imagination. You know, like I get to be involved in all kinds of stuff. I, w I don't think I'd be getting this in a lot of other places. And I like that. I like to be 
pulled in multiple dimensions and be forced to think in new ways. So when you think about that, then the harder question I've got for you is, what do you think about that got you to that point? I think the type of work I do is partly cultivated on the experiences I had. We moved around a ton. Like I did a lot of different, so probably the range book speaks to me because I had multiple things in life that taught me and tested me to, to have a range in life. Some sport, like I wrestled to soccer, to water polo, to swimming, you know, you name it. Playing music was the same, played multiple instruments, multiple languages, multiple like styles of, like I think about the trends that I followed. Like I wasn't always one dimension of a trend. It was like jumping across trends. So I think that for me, that's part of like the way I was okay with like, that's why I also embrace different cultures and people. And I'm curious to be like, wow, what, what makes you, you, how does that work? Cause I'm, I like that. So I think that brings me to a place where the work I do now lets me spend time with somebody that's like, okay, I'll be your eyes and ears for you and go think of new ideas for you. I'm going to have to go tap into new dimensions because we've been doing the same thing. It's not really working. We got to go find something else. So I think of that backstory for me just kind of brings me to that place. What about relationships? My number one personal passion is focus and energy on relationships. Yeah. I was taught, taught that in a group, some stuff I was doing in high school, and it showed me the power of relationships. And I think it never, never left me. And so now it's 100% uh, important to me. Basically what comes out of almost every interview we do with a great leader is that they value relationships so much and they learned it at a very early age and so throughout their entire life typically the through line of success is somehow intertwined or parallel to the relationships that they've you know kept um which i think is huge because again going back to like so i'm a millennial and so i kind of i always try to come from this different i'm not the youngest cohort any anymore but um it just doesn't feel like millennials and Gen Z's value relationships as much as Gen X, as much as like my parents. And because I think there's just, you connect with people on social media, you never see them again, but you feel like you see them because you see each other on social media. Uh, so it's important to constant, I think this part of the podcast is really important for the younger listeners, especially in business, because it highlights that uh, it's very important to still cultivate real relationships and not just social media, digital relationships. And it takes effort to it do does, that. It does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, me and you have been friends for I don't know how long now, but it could have been easy for us to, uh, you know, fade away and not stay in touch. But, you know, we've always made an effort to do that. And, and with that in mind, with your goal next year for next summer, when you identify that race, let us know and I'll come out there and do the race with you. I was thinking I was going to come down to you all, but I'll or, you or come up to me. Do that too. Well, Nikki's never been uh, to Oregon, so uh, it's on our, our very short list. We want to do like a, a Pacific Northwest trip. What, what if Brett chooses yeah. Athens Twilight? Are you going to uh, do that? No, I'm not doing Athens Twilight, Brett. <laughs> we'll do a road race. Uh, we're not yeah, gonna, road race. We're, we're not going to do crits. <laughs> and if you yeah, really just want to... the the hills. Yeah, Exactly. exactly. Uh, and if you really want to get crazy, we're going to Mallorca to do the Mallorca 312, uh, which is like 200 miles. 312 kilometers. Yeah, 200 miles around the entire island with thousands of people. Yeah, I'd use it as a training bit. Exactly. Exactly. Or a vacation for, for wit. A bike vacation. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast. And we will we'll talk to you soon. And, and Chad's committed to racing with you now. So we're going to hold him accountable. 
Perfect. There we go. You're accountable now. Well, Thank you. now now we have a reason to train. Like you're, not, you're, now, I'm going to go all the way to the bottom with this broken collarbone, and then we'll we'll, we'll train up together. You'll build back. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You you keep me in the loop, right? I will. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you.